Welcome to Ryan Rants and Raves, a podcast series by the Quebec government office in New York. Bienvenue à Ryan Rants and Raves, une série de podcasts par le gouvernement du Québec à New York. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Ryan's Rants and Raves. Um, today, we're going to be chatting denim, which is a very exciting topic. And I'm pleased to be with my favorite denim brand, Naked and Famous. I'm with the founder, um, Brandon Svark. Svar- correct, Brandon? Brandon Svark. Svark, yeah, that's me. Svark. All right. Thank you, Brandon. Sorry for butchering it. And Brandon, thank you for taking the time to be with me today. Yeah, uh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. And you, I guess I just want to start because I think even just with the name and Naked and Famous yourself as a brand, you act differently, not like other brands. But um, can you share the meaning behind the name and how it is a commentary to a lot of the fallacies that still exist in our industry today? Uh, yeah, of course. Naked and Famous Denim, the name, and also our you know nude pop art logo are kind of like a satire on not celebrity obsessism, but celebrity obsessed brands, at least. Yeah. And like, especially when we started in 2008, there were so many of those Los Angeles brands that didn't really care about quality. They just cared about their advertising and how many celebrities were wearing their jeans. And we just thought that that was so silly. So we wanted to make a name that was basically making fun of, of that. There were these brands like Rock and Republic and True Religion and Young, Fabulous and Broke and all these funny names that were, like I said, so concerned about what celebrities are wearing their stuff. So I want a name that kind of like sounds like it's a name from uh, <laughs> uh, from there, but that makes fun of all those guys. And if you know, like if you look at our logo, it's reminiscent of like 1960s Warhol and Liechtenstein pop yeah. art. And they were doing the same thing. They were making fun of th- that celebrity obsessed culture where people were obsessed with that tragic blonde, that uh, that quote-unquote ideal blonde that they saw in comic books and in images in the media. They produ- they reproduced that art and then sold it right back to the fine art community, kind of making fun of the culture uh, uh, one and the same. So I love that satire, and that's what we, we try to do. We don't do any advertising. We don't do any celebrity or influencer giveaways ever. We never have and never will. That's the idea behind our name. Well, and you know, I really like that you're not giving any product for free because you know then someone's not really going to truly care about the product, and this allows you to always focus on the quality. Yeah, that's it. We put instead of putting money in free giveaways and in advertising, we put money into the actual fabric, into the actual product. Like we've we've never done a runway show, we've never done an image campaign. Uh, you know, like most brands have, like you know, some like naked busty lady in, uh, in, in, in <laughs> photograph of them in, in jeans. Uh, you know, try to get oh everybody to look at it, but we just really focus on the product. We've never done a, a lifestyle photo shoot, like a professional photo shoot with professional models. Like we have pictures of people in our jeans on our Instagram and such, but it's like it's our employees or just like our friends and stuff. Um, so yeah, we put all our money into amazing fabric. Have you ever then had anyone like a celebrity stylist upset saying like, oh, you won't give this to, for free to me? Um, you know, maybe yeah, I don't know. Sure. Like- <laughs> yeah, for sure. We, uh, yeah, people have been confused. It's funny because, like, you know, uh, who asked us for stuff? Like, I don't want to say names, but like, it's funny because we don't give them stuff. But like, uh, back in the day, Justin Bieber stylist asked us for things. And we're like, oh, you can go get it at Barney's. And we give her the address and we tell her oh, there's like valet parking there. It's easy for you to go. And she's like, oh, thank you. I didn't know there was valet. So like, we're, we're kind of like making fun of her. And, and then, but, and then later she's like, okay, I bought like 10 of these uh, jeans. I'm like, all right. And we know, we know, we don't, we don't, we don't advertise it. We don't tell anyone, but uh, so people sometimes would come to me and say, oh, so that means like if you're anti-celebrity. So if you see a celebrity like on the street wearing your jeans, like that would be terrible for you. Right. I'm like, no, like we don't care. If I, if I see a famous person wearing our jeans or someone at Barney's tells me if, uh, that a celebrity bought the jeans, I'm happy. Just like anyone bought the jeans. Like I want them to support the retailers and. Uh, you know, yeah. there are people too. let them go and buy it. I really like that story that you give them the information about the valley parking. So they were able to learn something at yeah, the same it. time. Absolutely. 
<laughs> but I do now want to talk, talk about like how Japan is a big part of Naked and Famous. Can you speak about the quality of Japanese fabric and just maybe how Japan is involved within Naked and Famous? Oh, I, I could go for many hours uh, about uh, this topic alone. Of course, <laughs> I, I know we don't have time for that. But, uh, yeah, we first of all, we only use Japanese fabric for uh, for all of our products. We have several rules. Like I told you, we don't do advertising. We don't do celebrity giveaways. We only use Japanese fabric and we only sell it raw. And oh, sorry. And also all of our products are made in Canada. Uh, Amazing. With, uh, and I know this is, uh, you know, a, a Quebec podcast. So 95% of our products are made in Quebec. We have a little bit that are made in Ontario, some of our knits, but 95% of our products are proudly made in Quebec in our own factory. So I, I just went on a tangent there. Beautiful. Uh, I'm really happy to hear that. No, thank you so much for mentioning um, that. <laughs> yeah. uh, where were we? Uh, uh, Japan. <laughs> yes, Japan. So, uh, so we only use Japanese uh, fabric and a lot of people will ask why and what's so special about it and why is it expensive and what's unique about it and like, why don't you use it then from anywhere else? And it's because that we try to find the cult. Like we try to find the best of the best and sell it to the denim nerds and the denim fanatics like yeah. us who are obsessed and who have to have this amazing, innovative, incredible fabric. And there's really three things to me about Japanese fabric that stands out. One is, is the machines that they make it on. They have these old machines called shuttle looms. And these shuttle looms basically are what create a denim called selvage denim. It's not salvage or recycled, but selvage comes from the word self-edge. And basically all fabric has two different, uh, all woven fabric has two different directions of yarns. It has a warp yarn and a weft yarn. The warp yarn is the running vertical yarn and on jeans is usually blue. And then the weft yarn, which fills the denim is usually white, which is why you see your jeans blue on the outside and white oh. on the inside. When the weft gets filled on these, uh, on these shuttle looms, it has a little, like a little wooden shuttle inside and the shuttle shuttles back and forth along the fabric. On e It's continuing and on each pass, it seals the edge of the fabric closed, making a self edge. But your next question should be like, okay, like why does anyone ca like, care? Like who, who cares if it has this <laughs> self edge? And like, you know, when people flip up the cuff of their jean and you show it off and like, it looks all cool and neat. And we like that, but really what the selvage is, is kind of proof that it's made on these old machines. Proof that the Japanese denim is made on this old school way that's all about quality instead of about mass production, instead of just about the race to the bottom. Yeah. Like in, in 1950s, Levi's saw the creation of rock and roll and celebrities. They saw cool dudes like James Dean and you know Marlon Brando like wearing jeans. And they knew that jeans would no longer be just for cowboys and coal, mi uh, coal miners. They said, like, now everyone's going to buy jeans. So we're going to get rid of these old machines. We're going to mass produce. And they switched over to projectile looms that make denim double as wide and much faster. But they said, we just want to make it fast. We just want to make it as efficiently as possible. But they lost the quality. They, they lost the artisanal yeah. way. They lost the handmade way. So Japanese denim goes back to that old school way that's about quality and artisanal quality instead of just about the race at the bottom. That, that's one reason why we love it. And the second one is also the way that it's dyed. Like you, you may have heard this, that, you know, the denim heads love wearing their jeans and, you know, maybe they don't wash or they don't wash for three months or six months or whatever it is. And you beat the crap out of your jeans and you get a beautiful personalized fading effect. Yes. You've heard this before. Yes. Yes. Um, maybe you do it too yourself a little bit. Yeah, a bit. So yeah. Cause everyone <laughs> wants that fading effect. I already, know that, cool. I already know you, you know a little bit about raw denim. <laughs> and so the, the raw denim guys, they love fading Japanese denim, but why is, why is Japanese denim so special? And the answer is because the way that the yarns are dyed, and before I told you about warp and weft, so the way that the warp yarns are dyed is a system called rope dyeing uh, that, that they do in Japan. It's a really fascinating system, and it's different than is done in uh, almost anywhere else in the world. And what, what's different about it is that they take the yarns and they'll dip it down into a bath of indigo. And this big, long, tall machine, it's maybe like 
50 feet high uh, and uh, it uh, basically the, the yarns get dipped and then pulled out 50 feet high and then passed down again into a dip and pulled out and dip and dry and dip and dry. And because the yarn doesn't stay in the bath for very long, the indigo does not seep all the way to the center of the, of the yarn. So the yarn has what's called a white core. Picture that there's like a, basically a, not a hollow center, but a white center of the, the, the cotton yarn. And then all these layers of beautiful indigo built up on the outside. So when you put your wallet in the back pocket and you get your creases and you beat the crap out of your jeans, it breaks through that outer layer and reveals the, the you know, the white, the white. Uh, honeycomb contrast inside. In most uh, uh, like cheap ways of doing it is vat dyeing, where they throw that indigo in like a big just soup of of of, uh, of denim, uh, less delicious than your grandmother's uh, soup, of course, I'm sure. <laughs> and you, you were just visiting uh, your grandmother. And, yep, you know, I'm here like, right now with her. So, <laughs> well, there you go. So I, I bet she makes a bean soup, but. Uh, <laughs> So the, the, the indigo soup, uh, when the yarn is in there, it just absorbs all the way to the center of the yarn and the whole yarn is blue. So you don't get as high contrast to fade when you beat the crap out of your jeans. So this is a, a second reason why we love Japanese denim is the, how beautiful and uh, it fades. And the third one is actually, to me, the most fascinating because it's the most nerdy. And 14 years ago, when I started the brand, I went to Japan and I asked the president of our favorite mill, the same question that you asked me. I said, why is Japanese denim the best in the world? What, what is this allure? What, why is Japanese denim so good? And I wanted to see what would be his go-to answer. Like, would he say the machines or, you know, the shuttle looms or yeah. the dyeing methods or the efficiency or the, or the culture or the innovation? He didn't say any of those things. You know what he said? He said, what? the water. I said, whoa, that's what a, what a cool, like a different answer. And he proceeded to explain that, uh, they're in a town called Okayama or in an area called Okayama. Uh, and in this prefecture, it, well, Oka means hill and Yama means mountain. And so this is really beautiful mountainous and hilly area that has this fresh, clean run, uh, running water that, that goes down these mountains. And it's the same water that they use to make the dyes, to clean the yarns, to run the finishing processes. So um, these yarns have like a very specific pH balance and a mineral content. And actually, if you go to Okayama, one thing that's very famous there is the onsens, which is the natural, uh, uh, natural springs, natural spas. And uh, it's a big tourist attraction there. And you go and it's supposed to be amazing for your skin. And it's the same water that they're using to make their products. And uh, so even if China goes out uh, and, and copies the, um, the dyeing methods, they still will not be able to make the same physical quality of Japanese denim because they don't have access to the, the water. same water quality. And it's, it's yeah. really interesting. It's, it's, actually, it's actually true for many different segments of industry. Like if, if you know about the cashmere industry, there's two main pricing factors uh, for cashmere is the length of the staple of the yarn uh, and, uh, and um, like uh, how white the, uh, um, the, the inner hairs are. Like the goats have, they have a guard yeah. hair, which is uh, on the outside and they have the inner hair, which is used to make the cashmere and better wool. And when you, I asked a scientist friend of mine who's into this kind of thing, uh, and he said, yeah, it's like when they studied goats who lived at high altitudes, like in India, and they had this super clean, unfettered water source, they make the best cashmere in the world. And when you have like uh, the goats in the plains of um, Afghanistan, where they have like a not a good water quality, the goat's hair is very rough and short hair and dark brown. And it makes a vast difference in the quality and the pricing of the cashmere. It's, so it's interesting. Have, that, yeah. So water is life. And yeah. Yeah, and so and something's as simple as water. It's even even as simple as an example with like bagels, because you could say like Montreal and New York, the bagels they taste different because of the water source that's utilized. I don't know how accurate that is, but that is something that people say. 
it's an exactly perfect example. I mean, water is life and it affects everything. And I just thought that that was a really fascinating example on how physical quality of the dyes and the finishing process can be better because of the Japanese water in Okayama. And, and how did you discover Japan being just a center of denim? Were, were you always a denim nerd and then you want to go to the source and then you saw that this is really the key and you, and you spoke to the, to the guy and you saw it firsthand or how, how did you learn about this? I think it's a combination of all. Of course, the internet helped as I was doing my research, but I, I've always been a bit of, of a Japanophile. I've always loved, you know, um, some Japanese things, uh, uh, comic books and, uh, you know, video games. And, uh, and, and I used to be into, uh, you know, Japanese import cars. Yeah. I, I had a souped up prelude when I was a, a late <laughs> teenager in early 20s. And yes, whenever the Japanese get into something, they just go so intensely into it. And that's really exactly what we love to do. And that's kind of how we meshed well with Japan as we were researching. Like I, I did research other places, like should I use Italian denim or American yes. denim or whatever? And there was no other place that just dived so deep into it. You know, like when the Japanese do something, they go major head first into it. You know, they go shoulders deep. It just worked out to exactly what we yeah. wanted. But like I said before, we, we researched where, where is the cult? You know, where is the ultimate yeah. nerdery of, of denim coming from? And Japan was the answer. And, you know, what I do like is you, you still give some winks to Japan um, and a lot of your, um, your recent designs. Because if, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you guys also did uh, a line where you had like uh, the license to do um, the Dragon Ball Z um, like yeah. logos. Yeah. And I thought that was pretty cool because, I mean, that is something from Japan. And that's in a way giving a wink to Japan being a part of your company as well. Yeah, a couple of years ago, we started breaking into licensing a bit. We kind of just like fell backwards into it. And an artist that we used had made art for the video game Street Fighter, which is owned by a Japanese company called Capcom. And we're like, oh, wow, that's so cool. We know we, we uh, I played uh, um, Street, uh, Street Fighter, uh, Street Fighter 2 throughout my childhood. And we're just like, oh, that's so cool that you make art for it. Like, can you connect us to them? Like, we'd love to like, <laughs> speak to them or something like that, and, you know, see if we could do something. And he's like, yeah, yeah, sure. And he connected me to another guy who connected me to another guy. And, you know, uh, this, as the story goes, we met the team and like we showed them, uh, um, you know, what we were like. We, we, we met them in their Tokyo office, too, and kind of just like said, shit, this is such a good idea. We should make some Street Fighter jeans. And so we did. That was the first one. And then we looked for some other properties. And, and uh, after that was successful. And the one you were talking about is Dragon Ball Z, uh, which is a huge anime. So we did different genes, like based on different characters. We we basically get to, we developed uh, uh, and created a brand new denim for each character, like based on their colors, based on their feeling and their size and, and, and their body type and their whole thing. And we developed a fabric for them. And that's uh, amazing. I mean, I, I love Dragon Ball Z, so it's speaking to my my childhood. So um, that's it. We, that, <laughs> we, 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 lo- we love nostalgia, you know, like. <laughs> Oh, we have the best job in the world. My friends are like lawyers and doctors and accountants and like it's they're amazing and I they all needed good things and they love their jobs. But like we get to make Dragon Ball Z jeans like it's. Uh, <laughs> like, yeah, who gets amazing. to say that? Huh? <laughs> who gets to say that? Not many people. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, we have an even funnier one. We're doing Batman now. So it's like, you know, in my schedule, I have, I, I have like work on Caped Crusaders, you know, like uh, <laughs> No, who who has that in their uh, in their Outlook calendar? In their calendar, yeah. <laughs> so, so work on Bane. Is, is there anything you would like to rant or rave about um, today, Brandon? I, I have a funny rant. I would love to hear it. 
<laughs> so as you know, we only do raw jeans. That means our jeans are not washed or pre-distressed. I mean, you know, we don't have holes and bleach and uh, like whiskers uh, uh, like in, in advance on the jeans and, uh, you know, uh, like uh, uh, all this crap. Uh, we don't do back pocketing, uh, um, like full embellishments and all that stuff. And I just think that it's so silly to buy a jean that comes like pre-ripped or like a jean that comes with holes in it already. Um, like, uh, so Ryan, one day uh, you're going to win the lottery. Uh, and uh, of course, this is just an example. And you'll get uh, you know, millions of dollars, whatever amount it is. And you say, oh, wow, now I've won the lottery and uh, I'm going to go buy uh, some supercar. I want a Ferrari or Lamborghini, whatever. So you go to the dealership and you knock on the door and you say, hello, Mr. Sales Rep. I just won the lottery and I would like to buy, uh, you know, your greatest brand new, uh, you know, Ferrari. And, and he's, oh, come right away. He brings you a cappuccino and brings you into the showroom and he whips open the curtain and says, look, look at this brand new uh, spider, uh, you know, what is 360, whatever it is. And uh, he says, look at all, look at all the rust along the wheel wells, how he put it there. Oh, it looks so vintage. And look at the rips and on the leather and, and look at the dent up in front. You're going to tell the guy to go to hell, right? You're not going <laughs> to buy a brand new Ferrari with rust and dents and rips and tears. So how can I sell you the greatest denim fabric in the world with uh, rips and tears and holes into it? We, 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 we will never. The, the, I think that that's a great rant. It reminds me um, of my youth. My brother and I, we were really obsessed with Abercrombie and Fitch. I'm no longer an Abercrombie and Fitch clients, but when we were in middle school and our early years of high school, we always wanted to buy it. I remember I went shopping with my grandmother one time and their jean, their denim is just full of holes. I don't know if it's still the case, but my grandmother was like, why would you buy this? Like, she's like, I could get, buy a pair of jeans and cut it up myself for you. <laughs> so, of course, but then when your when your grandmother said that and she didn't understand it, then you wanted it even more. Is, exactly, is exactly. And then, then you yeah, wanted like, even when, more. When you go to a fruit store and there's an apple with a bruise in it, you say, "I'll pay you double, <laughs> Mister Shopkeep." Like it costs more money to make those holes and to use those bleach and enzymes and chemicals. Uh, they have to pay more to distress that gene, which raises the cost of it. So not yeah. only are you getting a gene that will last less time. And that comes pre-damaged, but you're paying double for it or much more for it. Well, and since they're they're distressing it further, it becomes less sustainable because then they're using more in the environment, probably more yeah. water. Absolutely. People ask us about, you know, uh, how we are environmentally friendly all the time. And I love seeing these brands. There's a brand from France. Now, I don't remember which one it is. But this really stuck up designer or owner of the brand was like, we just invented a new laser distressing process. And this fancy new distressing process will save us 20%. We will use 20% less water. I said, well, that's great. But we use zero water because we don't do any commercial uh, laundry. So you're, you know, you're still doing 80% um, you know, pollution and putting bleach and chemicals and all this crap in, 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 into the water. But we never do any chemical washing ever. What are some lessons that you've learned? And in Korean, I'm naked famous. Um, I guess one lesson that I learned is that passion goes a long way. Like we, we genuinely love what we are doing. You know, we are not in it just for the money. We're in it because we love it. I'm super excited to go to go to work every day. You know, I can only imagine being like in a normal job. So <laughs> uh, like, yeah, you know, I would, I would not be happy. So I think that being an entrepreneur, like you really better have the passion and like, you know, you, you can't just go and search for something where you think that there's going to be money if you think you're going to be unhappy. Like, you yeah. got to do something that you love. Um, and that's like, you know, it's, it's like cliche, but it's just so true. And I think, Brandon, you, you can just hear in your voice and even speaking to you briefly, you, you always have a smile and having a good time. And I think that transcends to everyone else you talk to when you're talking about the product. And I think that will make a difference when you're talking to buyers or clients. 
because I see that passion. We're we're pretty happy people in general, and you know, and I try to hire, um, you know, most only pretty like nerdy and happy people. Um, you know, so like if you look at Bayzad too, like my right hand man, he's 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 a pretty happy yeah. uh, uh, dude. He's a Japanophile. He's a nerd. Uh, which we which we mean in the most uh, amicable sense of the of the term, by the way. Now to speak about Biddle Canada, as you mentioned, ninety five percent is made in Quebec and everything's made in Canada. But how has the Canadian culture influenced Naked and Famous? Yeah, uh, yeah. Just to specify, we do have a small like sub brand called Naked and Famous Mij that's made in Japan. But it's like you know uh, that's kind of like one percent of of what we do, and it's kind of a sub brand. But yeah, everything that we do is made in Canada. Uh, and uh, I mean, I think that just naturally Canada, uh, you know, kind of gets absorbed into our brand. We're pretty proud that, uh, you know, we own our own factory uh, so we can have all of the control and uh, we can make stuff quickly. We can, um, you know, uh, adapt quickly. We can make samples quickly. We can develop things quickly. Um, and we make stuff in a first world country where uh, we know that we're building everything ethically. You know, like if, if you produce something in Bangladesh, like you, you, you may have no idea if, if the factory yeah. that you're using is uh, being ethical or not, like you, you can hope for it. And the factory will tell you, yes, uh, the manager says, yes, we are ethical, but in, unless you go there and you're there all the time, you don't know. Uh, you know, we have, we own our own factory and we have, you know, super strict laws here in Quebec and in Canada for um, that we follow and go beyond. And so we're, we're pretty damn proud that that ethicalness is, you know, built into all of our genes. And I hope that the rest of the world uh, uh, appreciates it too. Like, you know, when we export something to, you know, Japan or Thailand or, or America or anywhere, like they love seeing, oh, made in Canada on, on, on the product. You know, especially we do a lot of heavyweight stuff. We do heavyweight denim and for them, oh, made in Canada. Oh, heavy. Yeah, because they have tough winters. Like <laughs> people make assumptions. Yeah. And we, we do make lightweight <laughs> stuff too, by the way, but... Um, we also make the heaviest jeans ever created in the world. We have now a 40 ounce jean, which is like wearing four pairs of jeans at the same time. Um, wow. Yeah, uh, guaranteed uncomfortable or your money back. I was going to say, it would take a long time to break in those 40 ounce jeans. That's oh, like, yes. Yeah. How many years? <laughs> one, of our, one of our employees is wearing them now uh, every day and beating them up. He loves it. Uh, but again, you know, he's, he's, he's a, a fantastic nerd just like all of us. And he's, and he's obsessed and, he, and uh, he loves it. His name is Garrett. And uh, yeah, that's, I mean, I think that's all part of, uh, it's, it's all part of Canada that, that influences us. Plus also our, I think Canadians have a weird and awesome sense of humor. And, uh, you know, I, I think that helps us too. When I think, which is, which is music to my ears working for the Quebec government. So. <laughs> um, and I guess to close, you know, cause you know, it has been a very difficult year for many individuals. Well, last year was very difficult with COVID, but do you have any advice to the fashion community? Well, I guess when a when a, like a young entrepreneur comes to me and asks for advice, um, I usually tell them the same thing that I've been telling them for a bunch of years. That so this is something that I learned, you know, in in my first year. You know, first I I, I was looking for the right sales rep, the, the right distributors to help help me sell. How am I going to get this into the best stores? Uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And I quickly realized that the answer is you got to sell it yourself. Like, unless, of course, if you're a huge company, you know, you have uh, networks and distributors and you don't, you don't need my advice. But if, if you're a young starting entrepreneur, don't look for sales reps, don't look for distributors, don't trust any of these guys, you have to sell it yourself. You have to ask yourself who knows more about your product than you. And the answer should be nobody. And who loves your product more than you? And the answer should also be nobody. So if nobody loves it more and nobody knows more about it, then how can you give it away to anybody? You have to sell it yourself. 
Yeah. Uh, and so I, I think that that's, uh, I don't know, that's, that's my best piece of advice. I, th- I think that's great advice. And I, I know that you, you guys are always down there at every capsule, you know, you, you and your, your partner are always down there um, selling it and talking about the products. Absolutely. I, I remember once the owner of PRPS came into our booth and he's like, and he's like, aren't you the, the owner of this brand? He's like, and I said, yeah, yeah, that's me. Hello. I'm Brand. Nice to meet you. And he said, but why are you in your own booth? Like he was shocked. Like he was, he was almost <laughs> insulted that the owner of the brand was in the booth selling it. But I'm like, no, this is the way it has to be. Like, yeah, and then you and then you're speaking to the horse's mouth each time because you're speaking mainly to the buyers who are who, are, who can say comments, and then you you could give the best you know commentary back to them, you know, uh, and yeah, advice well, back it. to we, them. We try to load load on the you know the the, the, the product knowledge so that they can pass it on to their customers uh, and their and and not not just their customers, but more importantly their uh, their, their sales staff. Yeah. Um, you know, those guys are the guys on the floor who are selling stuff and speaking to all the customers all over the world every day. You know, on that, Brandon, you know, this was a great conversation. I really enjoyed it. Merci beaucoup. And, um, and I look forward to our next conversation and hope to see you um, next time trade shows permits. <laughs> so sooner than yeah, later, Absolutely. I hope. I hope to see you soon. It was my pleasure. Thanks for, thanks for the talk. Merci d'avoir écouté Ryan's Rants and Raves. Suivez-nous sur Instagram at Ryan's Rants and Raves. Thank you for listening to Ryan's Rants and Raves. Follow us on Instagram at Ryan's Rants and Raves. A très bientôt.